Welcome, everyone, to the Veterans News Hour with David Corey and Richard Hurley, a national news and talk program dedicated to military veterans' issues. And now, your hosts, David Corey and Richard Hurley. Good evening. Welcome to the Veterans News Hour for Monday, February the 7th, 2022. This is Air Force veteran David Corey along with my co-host Richard Hurley. Thanks for joining us tonight. We have lots of news and information for veterans and their families, so stay tuned. Let's first go over to Richard Hurley. Hello, Rick. What's new? Hey, David. Well, nothing much. Just grinding it out as usual for our veterans trying to process these claims. Um I want to welcome everybody to the, the Veterans News Hour. I want to remind everybody that this is a call-in show. Our number here is 1-888-627-6008. Again, that number is one 627 And we really uh, uh, we don't have a guest tonight, and we don't have any audio tapes, so we're going to be uh, knocking out a bunch of news. But it, we'd love to hear from you veterans. Uh, you, you know, you're, you're why we do this show. Remember that. Um, we, we put a lot of time in, into preparing, especially David, and, um, you know, we really want to hear from you veterans and, and tell us what's going on and with your, your claims, and maybe you just want to talk about your service. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. So that number is one triple eight six two seven six zero zero eight. And I just, uh, want to just share one, my experiences when it comes to the Board of Veteran Appeals, um, you know, when you when you get these hearings, there's 113 judges of, of last count, and they're and they're all different. Um, there are some judges who who uh, pretty much think inside the box. Uh, their decisions are are usually pretty good. David and I like their decisions, but they still think out inside the box, and and um, you know, it's um, it's one of those things you got you have to be prepared. Uh, if you're in the AMA uh, line, then uh, you've got 90 days after the hearing to provide additional evidence. But you really, with some of these judges, you really have to make sure you dot your I's and cross your T's. Uh, whereas some judges, boy, it just seems like they go out of their way to try to help the veteran above and beyond the box. And, and they're looking for whatever, whatever they, they can see within the file uh, in order to try to help a veteran get service connected. And so much so that I, you know, I've heard judges like, uh, make sure, you know, I'll, I'll try to make sure I get all the good testimony out to, uh, you know, to the judge. But sometimes if, if I'm a little short, I'll hear the, the judge really walk the veteran through and, and without getting, without telling the veteran what he want, what he or she wants him to say, uh, he, the, veteran, the judge will ask the question in such a way that it's kind of like leading the witness, as we used to say, leading the witness right to the answer. Uh, but not all judges are going to do that. So the bottom line is you've got to be prepared, you know, before you go into these hearings. Uh, it was funny, this, this past week, David, I had... Uh, four hearings in, in one day, and uh, I one judge who is kind of what I just described about, you know, not thinking outside the box and 
she smiled and she was nice, but you could tell that she was a little, uh, she wasn't my cup of tea. Whereas the other, the other, uh, judge I had, and in this case was a more uh, complicated case because it involved a veteran who was exposed to, he worked on a submarine, a nuclear submarine. And he was in, and one of his jobs was to, uh, uh, open up the valves uh, of the sub, and then the, the 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 water, the radiation water is supposed to already be out. But uh, what happened was a bunch of times he would open up the valve and the water would pour right on him, and it would get into his mouth and his eyes, and he ended up ca- uh, getting Hodgkin's. And our our um, claim is that the exposure to this radi- radioactive water causes Hodgkin's. Well, if you had heard this judge, he he went out of his way to try to get that service connection, and it was it was really nice to to watch this judge work it. But the judge I had in the other two cases, three cases earlier in the day, would never have done that, and I I, I doubt if we could have won that case with this other judge. This judge went out of his way to to try to make it happen, so. You got to be prepared, and you never know who you're going to get. There's 113 of these judges, and um, you know that's the story on that. Dave, you want to before I go into some news, you want to answer what I just said? Those are great points. You're absolutely right, and I think a lot of veterans go into um, filing claims and filing appeals thinking that the VA and all the employees of the VA all think the same way. And and as you said, they clearly don't. And there is some leeway as far as interpreting, interpreting evidence, applying the evidence to the rules. The rules are very complicated in many cases. And, um, you know, no two judges are going to think exactly the same way. Some may think very consistently with others. But you have to be prepared for the ones that um, are, are really not going to be uh, appear to be proactively trying to help the veteran. And the other thing is, you mentioned the AMA, the Appeals Modernization Act. You know, one of, there are many changes between the Appeals Modernization Act and the old system, which the VA calls the legacy system. And one of those many changes is that um, if you've appealed to the board and you have three different choices on how to appeal to the board, you can simply appeal and ask the, the board to make a decision without asking for a hearing and without submitting any more evidence. It's just based on the record as it existed up to the time of the decision you're appealing. And the other lane is that you don't want a hearing, but you are going to submit um, evidence, uh, you know, within 90 days of your of filing your appeal. Or the third lane, which you mentioned, which I know you've done a lot of those cases, are the, the board hearings where you request a hearing. But here's the thing I wanted to emphasize as you know, Rick, that um, the the time in which you can submit information to support your appeal is is a very fixed time. It's either what you've asked for a hearing, it's either at the hearing or within 90 days after the hearing. In other words, let's say the, the VA makes a decision, the, the VA regional office makes a decision in uh, January of 2021, and uh, you don't get a board hearing until December of 2021, 
in those intervening, you know, 11 months, if you've continued to file evidence in support of your claim, um, the board is not obligated and won't. Not only are they not obligated to, they can't under the rules. Consider that evidence that's submitted. Uh, they can't consider it for purposes of the appeal. They might consider it if you filed some additional separate claim. So what you have to do is you have to essentially hold the evidence, or if you have submitted it, you have to represent it at the hearing or within 90 days after. It's that very limited window. And I've seen a lot of decisions since the Appeals Modernization Act um, has gone into effect, which was 2019, where the board decisions make it clear, you know, this is the window of evidence that they're, the window of time of the evidence that they're considering. You know, it's, 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 it's a reminder, um, but it's also, you don't want it to be sort of a gotcha where they've, where they've uh, surprised you after the fact by saying, well, yeah, you submitted that information in June of 2021, but they can't consider it because it wasn't a presented at the hearing or within 90 days after the hearing. I think that's a, that's a tricky rule, and that's different from the old legacy system where if you can cons- continued filing, mailing in, faxing in evidence, they'd have to consider it. Um, but now you have to just essentially hold it or resubmit it at the hearing or within 90 days after. It's, it's, uh, it's a little tricky there. It's a, it's a pitfall that, that people need to be aware of. So. Your yeah, you know, what I like to do on that, David, is, and I'm sure you do it too, is even though I'm on appeal, um, and I, as I'm getting the evidence in, um, I like to I like to still send it in, have it in my file as being sent in, even though I know that I'm going to since it might since it's going to be an AMA case, I'm going to have to refile it uh, because what happens there that I like is that the judge will, if they're prepared, will comment on, we'll just use this as an example, a PTSD disability benefit questionnaire that I previously filed, the judge will say, well, I see, Mr. Hurley, that you filed this PTSD uh, uh, DBQ, and I've read it, um, and it looks good, but uh, as you know, you're going to need to refile that uh, within the 90 days, and of course, uh, David, you and I always submit a legal memorandum, and we always attach our our exhibits to that legal memorandum, and I tell the judge that. But what I get from the judge is I get acknowledgement that she actually or he actually saw uh, the client's file, saw that that's in the file, um, and so that makes me feel good that at least the judge at this point has is has been prepared and prepared herself or himself for the hearing. So I always send that in, and I know you do the same thing, and and just re, just refile. It's no big deal just to refile it with the brief. But you know, if you do all those things, veterans, um, and you've got your evidence, uh, and I, David, I think you would agree that more more likely than not, you're going to get a favorable result. Uh, and, and even if the even if the court doesn't turn around and and grant service connection or grant an increase, you'll at least get the court to remand it back for further processing, uh, which usually can result in in a favorable result. So you know those are uh, uh, tips that veterans you need to 
keep in mind if you, if you have an attorney, hopefully your attorney is well versed in that and and will follow those. We'll do the same thing. But if you have a VA VSO or a DAV or something, you know you might want to be on your toes a little bit because you may not get the same preparation. So in any event, we do have some news, and I'll start according to a recent VA press release. The Office of Personal Management, OPM, will now pay all federal workers a minimum minimum of at least $15 per hour. OPM's guidance, guidance directs agencies on adjusting pay rates for general, schedule, and federal wage system employees stationed in the U.S. and how to use administrative authority for other pay systems with implementation of the changes by January the 30th. In total, this impacts 67,000 out of 2.2 million federal employees. The Department of Veteran Affairs, Defense, and Agricultural collectively employ most of the personnel who are currently paid an hourly rate below $15. Many of the employees who will benefit from this wage increase have been on the front lines throughout the pandemic working resiliently to serve the American public. According to VA Secretary Dennis McDonough, of the nearly 67,000 affected federal employees, 9,700 are from the Department of Veteran Affairs. How we treat our workforce directly impacts the morale and success. Increasing pay rates to at least $15 per hour is a necessary step to achieve these goals. Some of these affected individuals are VA food service workers and housekeeping aides. VA housekeeping staff support the department's mission to help veterans improve their health quicker by keeping facilities clean and safe, which are essential to the patient care experience. VA food service workers are also essential to patient care, as they deliver excellent dining that nourishes the veterans they serve. Safety, sanitation, and quality along the customer service are paramount in the Veterans Health Administrative Health Care System. Back to you, David. Uh, that's good to know. Another item of news from the Department of Veteran Affairs. The VA published a final rule in the Federal Register uh, last week on February 2nd that's changing the VA's procedures for reporting debt to consumer reporting agencies. These changes change the VA's minimum requirements for reporting those debts. The rule also provides opportunity for relief and helps veterans who are experiencing financial hardship. Uh, this is especially important now that the department has resumed debt collection activities as of October 1st, 2021, which previously had been suspended for a while because of the COVID pandemic. VA Secretary Dennis McDonough said in that press release, and I quote, Reporting debt to consumer report agencies impacts credit worthiness and negative reports may cause financial distress for veterans. Late remittance or non-payment can lead to debt collection. However, overpayment of benefits funds is often debt accrued through no fault of the veteran. These new changes will result in a 99% reduction in unfavorable debt reported to consumer reporting agencies thus reducing financial distress for veterans. Uh, previously, roughly 530,000 allowable VA debts were reported annually to those consumer reporting agencies, resulting in approximately 60,000 delinquent VA debts being referred to credit reporting agencies each year. For those of you that may be listening and wonder what this debt is about, in some instances, Veterans uh, owe the VA for medical co-pays because they may be eligible for VA medical care, but depending on what priority group they're in, they may owe co-pays. And also, 
sometimes uh, debts are accrued to the VA because there's been an overpayment of benefits. And as uh, the VA acknowledged, uh, very often uh, those debts are not caused by the fault of the veteran. Sometimes it is due to the fault of the veteran because the, vet the veteran failed to um, keep the VA updated with, with information, let's say, about employment or change of dependence or what have you. <clears throat> in any event, uh, these debts were then in turn reported by the VA to consumer reporting agencies, just like any other creditor would. Now, there was a law in 2020 called the Johnny Isaacson and David P. Rowe, M.D., Veterans Health Care and Benefits Improvement Act of 2020, which authorized the VA secretary uh, to create regulations for establishing the minimum threshold and methodology used to determine debt reporting by the VA. Under those amendments, the VA will not report to those consumer reporting agencies until all available collection efforts are exhausted and the specified debt becomes classified as not collectible. Additionally, the department will not report debts owed by the veterans determined to be catastrophically disabled and entitled to VA's cost-free health care due to low income. So this is an important thing. And uh, there are still relief options for veterans who are experiencing financial distress. They can include repayment plans, waivers of the debt, temporary hardship suspensions, and other options. However, the VA will also continue to report any debt incurred by individuals who have committed fraud, uh, misrepresentation, or acted uh, in bad faith. If you have any questions, veterans or beneficiaries with questions regarding the overpayment of benefits, uh, they can go to the VA's website at va.gov forward slash manage dash va dot dash debt. Again, that's va.gov forward slash manage dash va dash debt. You can also call uh, some toll-free numbers, and uh, for benefit debts, the toll-free number is 1-800-827-0648. Again, for um, overpayment of benefit debt issues, it's 1-800-827-0648. Now, if there's questions about either medical or pharmacy copayment debt, the VA's Health Resource Center is your point of contact. They have a different number. It's toll-free 1-866-400-1238. Again, for questions about medical and pharmacy copayment debt, veterans can contact the VA's Health Resource Center at 1-866-400-1238. Okay, Rick, over to you. The Department of Veteran Affairs Office of Geriatrics and Extended Care is expanding its home-based primary care, medical foster home, and veteran-directed care programs to make them available at all VA medical centers by the end of fiscal year 2026. VA will add 58 medical foster homes and 70 veteran-directed care programs to VA MCs across the nation and add 75 home-based primary care teams to areas with the highest unmet need. These evidence-based programs allow veterans to age in place, avoid or delay nursing home placement, and choose the care environment that aligns most of their care needs, preferences, and goals, said Executive Director of VA Office of Geriatrics and Extended Care, Scott Hartrop. 
Veterans using these programs have experienced fewer hospitalizations and emergency department visits, reduced hospital and nursing home days, and fewer nursing home readmissions and inpatient complications. According to VA's Policy Analysis and Forecasting Office, the number of veterans of all ages who are eligible for nursing home care is estimated to expand from approximately 2 million veterans in 2019 to more than 4 million by 2039. As this population grows, VA remains steadfast in providing the highest levels of care to veterans in the least restrictive settings. These programs provide an in-home or smaller care setting than traditional institutionalized long-term care. The smaller setting of care supports less risk of transmission of COVID and other infectious diseases. Many veterans have chosen these programs instead of institutionalized care during the pandemic for more flexibility and care preference and less risk of COVID transmission. Learn more at the VA at the website at va.gov forward slash geriatrics. What a great program, uh, David. And you know, it, it, uh, I know in this day and age, as, as the elderly get elderly, one of the big things is to be able to stay. Uh, you know, some nice accommodations. Obviously, the, the, the best the best thing I think is trying to stay home. As you as you age, well, it looks as though the, the VA is trying to somehow adapt that that philosophy and and extend it out to our veterans. I think that's pretty super. So, uh, any comments? No, that's good. I, that's a good point. I got some other news here, and these are for of interest to thousands of veterans who suffer from certain respiratory conditions. Uh, last August 2nd, 2021, the VA began processing disability claims uh, for asthma, rhinitis, and sinusitis on a presumptive basis based on presumed particulate matter exposures during military service in Southwest Asia and certain other areas. If those conditions manifest within 10 years of a qualifying period of service, uh, the VA formulated these rules after a period of time where they study the scientific evidence, including uh, an evaluation by the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine, as well as other evidence. So that process concluded that um, particulate matter pollution is associated with chronic asthma, rhinitis, and sinusitis for veterans who served in the Southwest Asia Theater of Operations beginning August 2nd, 1990. August 2nd, was the beginning, uh, that was the day that Iraq invaded Kuwait in 1990. And Operation Desert Shield started within days of that. So this rule applies to veterans that served in Southwest Asia beginning August 2nd, 1990 to the present time. That window of time hasn't closed yet. Or if they served in Afghanistan, Uzbekistan, Syria, or Djibouti beginning September 19th, 2001, which is the post 9-11 military operations in those countries. The VA's review also concluded there was sufficient evidence to presume that these veterans had been exposed to particulate matter. We've talked about this on many shows over the last uh, five years, of the toxic exposures, open-air burn pits, but other sources as well. So it's an important rule. Help, we're helping to spread the word. Um, you can find more information, obviously, on va.gov. Uh, so... Rick, over to you. Thanks, David. In other news, the National Veterans Legal Services Program, NVLSP.org, wants veterans and their families to know that it has 
a new dedicated burn pits claims assistance program, burn pits cap. This program marks a major expansion of the free legal representation that the NVLSP has provided to veterans and their survivors over the last 40 years. Burn pits cap will assist veterans exposed to toxic emissions from burn pits while serving overseas by representing them on claims for disability benefits before the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs. Open-air burn pits located near military bases were commonly used by the U.S. military departments in Southwest Asia to dispose of assorted waste and other matter. Department of Defense and the VA agreed that the smoke and fumes emitted from these burn pits contain numerous toxic chemicals. Over 240,000 veterans and service members have documented their exposure in the VA's Airborne Hazards and Open Burn Pit Registry. Despite its recognition that burn pits located on numerous military bases emitted toxic chemicals, the VA has thus far denied over 75% of the disability claims based on burn pit exposure. The Burn Pit Claims Assistance Program is a natural extension of NVLSP's legal expertise and tenacity in fighting for veterans and their families to ensure they receive the life-changing benefits they need and deserve, said NVLSP Executive Director Paul Wright. NVLSP has a solid record of defending the rights of veterans with chronic illnesses due to their exposures during military service to toxic chemicals. The most significant example is NEMA versus the United States Department of Veteran Affairs, a class action lawsuit brought on behalf of all Vietnam veterans and their survivors who had been or would be denied VA benefits for conditions associated with exposure to Agent Orange. In this historic case, the federal court invalidated the VA Agent Orange compensation rule and approved a consent decree requiring VA to pay retroactive disability and death benefits. As a result of the consent decree and four successful motions for enforcement, VA has been forced to pay over $4.6 billion in VA compensation benefits to, to Vietnam veterans and their survivors. NVLSP's work on behalf of the Vietnam veterans exposed to Agent Orange underscores the organization's ability to tackle the burn pits issue, often cited as the Agent Orange equivalent for post-9-11 veterans. To learn more about NVLSP Burn Pits Claims Assistance Program, go to website at nvlsp.org. NVLSP is also a steadfast advocate for legislation that would grant presumptive coverage for veterans with burn pits exposure. This is extremely important, people. Um, as, as I said in here, this is the equivalent of the Agent Orange issue that affected our Vietnam veterans, this burn pit issue. And, and you know, we, we've got to get... Got to get to D.C. We got to get our, our congressmen and congresswomen to finally step up and do the right thing, like they did with with Agent Orange, and and also with uh, the Camp Lejeune issue. Because, as as is well documented, we've got thousands of men and women who were exposed while they were in Iraq, Afghanistan, and um, you know they're coming home with these god awful diseases and medical conditions and you know they all went into the service healthy you know there's no dna issue here there's no genetic issue here and they come home with these god-awful diseases and medical conditions and the only common denominator is their exposure to this these these burn pits so you know uh, everyone needs to um, you know veterans and non-veterans civilians need to step up and, you know, ask, you know, next time a, one of these Congress women, men and women, you know, show up in your, in, in your neighborhood or show up at uh, July 4th, uh, 
Memorial Day, and they're they're online with waving the little little American flag, and you know looking out and and standing next to a veteran and showing how wonderful you know how how they support veterans and everything else. You know, pull them aside and say, "Hey, uh, Mr. Smith, what's what's going on with the burn pits? What are you doing about it?" You know, I mean, I'm hearing all these horrible things about our our young men and women who were exposed and and. And they're having problems uh, getting the compensation that they probably deserve out of the VA. What's going on? And see what answer you get. I'm sure they're going to you're going to get some sort of double talk. But you need to, you know, make these congressmen and women accountable to our veterans, our young Iraqi Afghanistan veterans, um, because you know these these conditions. And David and I, you know, we represent them. We see it. And you know. It's just horrific, and they've got to live with this for the rest of their lives. So uh, they should be compensated. So we need to do our best to try to get them the compensation that they're entitled to. All right, David, I get off my soapbox. I'll pass it back to you. Well, that's good stuff. Um, next uh, item, this next segment of the show, I want to talk about uh, an important issue that affects um, many thousands of uh, veterans of all the services. And uh, and that is uh, the effect of a negative discharge. Some veterans, um, you know, most veterans receive an honorable discharge at the end of their service, but uh, but there are still many that receive uh, some sort of unfavorable characterization, and uh, that essentially can can follow them and haunt them uh, the rest of their lives because a lot of employers. Uh, know that if someone served in the military, they want to know what were the circumstances of their of their discharge. They receive an honorable discharge or something less than that. And in addition to that, uh, certain types of negative service characterizations uh, can also prevent a veteran from receiving um, VA benefits, including uh, VA disability compensation. And... Uh, it's, it's an issue that has received more and more attention over the years, and there's two uh, class action lawsuits. One's been settled, and the other one is close to settlement. Um, we've talked about these in the show in the past, but it's worth emphasizing and repeating because, uh, you know, keep in mind that a lot of these veterans that are affected um, have been out of the service, some of them for many years, and uh, how else are they going to find out about it? because it's very unlikely they've been out of the service for a number of years, that the military is still going to have their correct current mailing address. So the military may say, oh, we agree to contact all these tens of thousands of veterans who were affected, who covered by these class action lawsuits. But really, how are they going to do that? What effort are they going to make to track down these veterans that may have been discharged 20 years ago? or even 10, 15 years ago. So we want to help spread the word. And so if you're a veteran or if you're a veteran service officer or just friends of a veteran, particularly someone that received um, something other than an honorable discharge, uh, let them know about this. Uh, the first of these class action lawsuits, it's, it's, uh, there's an excellent website. It's easy to remember. It's the case of Kennedy versus McCarthy. And the website is KennedySettlement.com. And this applies, this affects um, 
veterans of, uh, of, of the Army, whether it's active duty Army or the Reserves or, or the Guard. Um, and then the other class action lawsuit uh, affects members of, um, of the Department of the Navy, which includes the Navy and the Marine Corps. And this was a lawsuit, um, it's in the final processes of being resolved. But this lawsuit was uh, brought on behalf of a Marine veteran named Tyson Manker, as well as others, and uh, the National Veterans Council for Legal Redress. Uh, and uh, it's it's like, like the Kennedy case, it's a nationwide class action lawsuit. The website for this one is mankersettlements.com, which is spelled M-A-N-K-E-R settlement.com. So go to these websites. They've got a lot of good information. They have a frequently asked questions section. They have a lot of points of contact. And um, I really encourage you to check those out. And uh, these primarily, these settlements will primarily help veterans that have been discharged with either an other than honorable discharge characterization or a general under honorable conditions, sometimes just known as a general discharge. And if the circumstances of the discharge were related to misconduct, which might have been attributable to post-traumatic stress, a traumatic brain injury, um, the effects of um, military sexual trauma, or really, there's a broader catch-all, other behavioral health conditions. Uh, the lawsuit was based on the belief that veterans who had experienced post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury, sexual trauma, or other behavioral health conditions, that uh, the Army Discharge Review Board, as well as the Navy Discharge Review Board, had systematically denied... Um, upgrades of those discharge characterizations to an honorable because they basically were ignoring uh, favorable evidence. So both services, the Army and the Navy, which Navy includes the Marine Corps, they've agreed to settle those lawsuits. Of course, on paper they're denying the allegations, but the fact that they're settling the lawsuits in a favorable manner is really what's important. So go to these uh, these two websites, again, kennedysettlement.com, for those that served in the Army or some component of the Army. And uh, you'll find a lot of information there. And if you served in the Navy or the United States Marine Corps, it's mankersettlements.com, M-A-N-K-E-R, settlement.com. And um, there are a lot of, uh, you know, uh, a lot of excellent advocacy on behalf of some veteran groups uh, behind these things. So I applaud um, organizations like uh, the National Veterans Legal Services Program, the, the Yale Law School Veterans Legal Services Clinic, and uh, and also some of the pro bono law firms that were involved. You can find out more. Um, but um, I'll give you an example of, of sort of what you're up against that I've encountered um, <clears throat> on a case that I'm handling that falls under the Kennedy Settlement um, on both the website and and the Army on its Discharge Review Board website has the same information. So you can find the same information both on the Army website as well as this 
the lawsuit website. But they'll tell you, you know, here's what you need to do. These are the different categories of veterans that are affected and the different rules for these different categories because nothing simple. But it'll tell you how to submit, um, you know, the evidence that you have. You know, you can submit it by email or you can mail it in. Um, but here's the, here's the problem. Um, they're not very good at acknowledging that they've even received it. Which, of course, anyone that's dealt with either the VA or any of these military services over the years know that there's a problem with mail, there's a problem with file management, where they may claim, you know, months later, we never got it. You can't prove, you know, so you want to be able to show that you sent it. Um, and that can include being redundant, which is what I try to do, which is you mail it by certified mail return receipt, also email it to their to their uh email address and keep a copy of that. But this is what I discovered in this in this particular case, that uh, the Army has failed to, they give you this email to say, send us, if, you, if you're wondering whether we received it, send us an email to this email address. Well, they don't bother answering emails to that email address. And then when you call their status line, uh, they give you a number to call, you know what you get? You get a recording. You, it, there isn't even an option to talk to a living human being. It's it's simply pre-recorded answer that basically says, you know, they get 23,000 or so cases a year, and it takes them 12 months. Uh, on average, really, it takes them longer than that. But um, that's what you're up against. So uh, keep proof of when you mailed it, keep copies of everything, and periodically follow up. Um, because, you know, these same organizations, these discharge review boards and these boards for correction of military records, um, they have no duty to assist. Like, the, at least the VA has a legal duty to assist. It may, seem, it may appear to be minimal, but there's no such duty in the discharge review board or the mil, uh, board for correction of military records, board for correction of naval records. And they are not your friends. They are not there to help you out or to do you a favor or to really show any sympathy. Um, you know, that's not the business they're in. They, they essentially, uh, over many decades, have proven that they're, for the most part, a rubber stamp of what has already happened. And considering that what that might have been may have been decades ago, witnesses are gone, it's tough for the veteran to build a strong case. You know, that explains why, um, you know, the approval rate is, um, for all these things, is, is very low. Any event, um, having said that, there are these options, and uh, it's important that the veterans know about it. So help us spread the word. Rick, your thoughts? Uh, um, I'm, I'm stuck on your uh, talking about how I like to use the word moronic. The VA staffing can be. I, I got before we went on the uh, the podcast tonight. One of my clients, he works for the VA. Okay, he works for the VA, and he and he sent me a photograph of three different envelopes addressed to him. Um, the all the addresses were wrong. Um. Who was it from? The VA. <laughs> the VA. He he was able to track down the uh, 
the mail, and it's you know some one piece is like two months late. Um, now the the kicker is he works for the VA, and in in the medical side they had his address, they had the correct address, and I have sent in his correct address at least five times, and they still don't use the correct address. Not only don't don't they use the correct address, but they don't even use they they screwed up the old address i mean it's it's like the three stooges you know you just can't make this stuff up right and you know i'm just uh, when you were talking about the mailing so you know what david's saying about you know sort of sending things in certified mail documenting i mean unfortunately if it's an important piece of mail that you're sending in to the va uh, and, and you expect to get a response, you really need to do what David said and send it in by certified mail because there's no guarantees. Well, can um, I add something on that? Can I add something? Let, let me clarify sure. what I was... I was talking about particularly like certified mail to to the Army and the Navy and, and, the, uh, and the Marine Corps Discharge Review Board specifically. My, my approach with the VA is, is a little different. Um, what I do now with the VA, I rarely send them certified mail. I know others, you might, and others might, but... No, I don't. But, but what I, I, I rarely send things by certified mail anymore because they do have this uh, uh, free online, it's a secure online portal uh, that uh, you can upload documents uh to the VA's intake center, and you can specify whether it's going, you know, to compensation or the board or pensions or whatever, the different categories. But the good thing about this system is, you know, within seconds of you uploading it, you will get an automatic email confirming that at least it was received. Now, there are several steps which can sometimes take several days between when you've uploaded it into the system and the file, whatever you've uploaded, actually getting associated with the veteran's file. And and those are different stages the system will tell you. But I use that system, and then to be redundant, I will fax, I will fax it in, which then, um, for most, most of the cases, I'll get an automated fax receipt back from the VA, not just my own fax machine giving me a receipt, not that. But in addition to that, the VA will send back an automated fax receipt. So those are ways; those are two ways you can prove, and it's a lot faster. It's immediate. If you if you send it by U.S. mail with the return receipt, the green card return receipt, which I do recommend using for the for the Army and the Navy and the Air Force discharge review boards. Now they they say you can email those. So you but but be redundant. It can't hurt to send to send it uh, you know in, in multiple ways. Because uh, again, you're just trying to prevent uh, a problem where six months later or 18 months later they say well, we never received it. You know, it's unfortunate, but that's the way the system is. There's it's it's a uh, it works smoothly sometimes, but other times when they 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 really foul up basic stuff. I had a case where where um, I'd represented uh, a widow of a uh, veteran and. Um, been representing for quite a while. My name is all over the file as a representative, 
when the case gets remanded from the Court of Appeals back to the Board of Veteran Appeals, the Board of Veteran Appeals sends a notice letter out, not to the attorney, not to me, and not to the attorney representing the widow before me, but the attorney representing the widow before that. So two attorneys before me, they, that's who they send it to. Uh, there's no way they could, they could have, you know, you have to wonder what level of incompetence there is to do that. Uh, and if it wasn't for the fact that they also had sent one uh, to the widow, who then, uh, you know, checked and said, hey, you received this, I would not have known, you know, until I periodically just followed up saying I haven't heard anything. So you have to be on your toes about that sort of thing. I know it sounds very basic. It's not, you know, it's not rocket science, but that's what you're up against. You can't really assume that that even uh, something as simple as the mail is, is, is working. So, Yeah, you know, and, and the problem that I think we run into is that, and I know I'm painting a very bad picture of the VA, but unfortunately for the last nine, ten years, I don't see a lot of wonderful things about the organization. But, you know, they, they look for reasons to to deny your claim. They look for thing, reasons to not pursuing your claims or kicking the claim back. Uh, they're not looking for reasons to helping you get a favorable result for your claim. It's always something you did wrong, and therefore they're not going to, pursue the claim for you or you got to go do it right. Uh, it's just, you know, throwing another hurdle in front of the veteran. And if you're dealing, you know, if you've got a representative, if you've got an attorney like David or myself, you know, we know how to deal with that. We've been, we've been advocates for 38 years. So those kind of things don't, don't bother us. But for a veteran who's trying to do this on his own or her own, to get that kind of response from the VA uh, it just, you know, it's like, what the hell? Why, why am I even pursuing it? I, you know, I'm never, I'm never going to get what I want, so I'm not going to pursue it. So, on your end, the the best way to um, make sure that you, you know, you, you don't run into that is just do your due diligence, uh, cover yourself, dot your eyes, cross your t's. Um, you know, if you can't get in, use the portal like David was saying, which might might be you might find difficult to do. I know a lot of veterans can't even turn on the internet. You know, do do it the old-fashioned way and just send it certified mail, return um, receipt requested, and uh, you know you'll be at least you've done it. You've covered yourself on your end, so that in the event, you know, you got to take it down the road. You got to go to the board board, board of veteran appeals. I have no doubt that the Board of Veteran Appeals will give you the benefit of the doubt and will get your case back on track. Back to you, David. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, got a couple more items of uh, news. We just got a few minutes left in our show. Uh, another federal court uh, case on December 16, 2021. Uh, federal court in Texas ordered the government to make retroactive payments of combat-related special compensation, known as CRSC. Uh, to a class of approximately 9,000 Army, Navy, Marine Corps, and Air Force veterans who had not received the full amount they were owed because the military illegally imposed a six-year ceiling on the amount they would pay. Uh, the class is represented by the National Veterans Legal Services Program, nvlsp.org. You can find more information about that if you're interested from their website, nvlsp.org. 
and uh, they had the pro bono assistance of the law firm of Sidley Austin LLP. So, okay, Rick, over to you. The National Veterans Legal Services Program, NVLSP Public Counsel and Pro Bono Counsel, Paul Hastings, have established a website to provide information to seriously disabled veterans and their family caregivers about how to navigate appeals and benefits decisions under the Department of Veteran Affairs Program of Comprehensive Assistance for Family Caregivers. The organization has created this website as part of the role as class counsel in the landmark Boudot versus McDonough, which in April 2021 won the Veterans and Caregivers' Right to Appeal Caregiver Program decisions to the Board of Veteran Appeals. The website, VA Caregiver Classification ClassAction.com, provides important information about the class action lawsuit, the Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims decision, and how to appeal caregiver programs decisions. The website is an important step in getting veterans and caregivers access to the resources and information that they need to secure the benefits they deserve, said Amanda Puchasati, a supervisor staff attorney at Public Counsel Center for Veterans Advancement. All veterans and family caregivers who applied for benefits under PCAFC during the entire program period of the program are allowed to appeal any PCAFC benefits decisions to the board. For claimants who appeal, the board could decide they are entitled to reinstatement to the program, increased benefits, and or back pay of benefits previously denied. Under the Boudot decision, the Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims held that the Veterans Judicial Review Act requires that the Department of Veteran Affairs permit claimants to appeal PCAFC decisions to the board. The court also ordered that the VA provide notice to members of the class of their right to appeal caregiver program benefits decisions to the board. As a result, starting on November 17, 2021, the VA began sending notice to hundreds of thousands of severely disabled veterans and their caregivers. To ensure that the VA provides claimants with the right to appeal, the CVAC also certified a class of claimants who previously received caregiver program benefits decisions but were not permitted to appeal to the board and appointed class counsel to represent the class. The class includes all claimants who received an adverse benefits decision under the caregiver program, exhausted the administrative review process within the VHA, and have not been afforded the right to appeal to the Board of Veteran Appeals. The VA, however, continues to fight the court's decision even as it provides notice to class members and processes individual appeals that, may, that they may file. On Friday, December 3rd, the Biden administration appealed the Boudou case to the U.S. Court of Appeals to the Federal Court in September, NVLSP and several Veteran Affairs Service Organizations sent a letter to House Committee on Veterans Affairs and Senate Veterans Affairs Committee leadership expressing their support for the Boudet decision and a disapproval of any legal or legislative effort to undo the court decision. For years, the VA has rejected or kicked veterans and caregivers out of the caregiver program for illegal or incorrect reasons or no reason at all. The Boudet decision is a pivotal decision because it recognizes the veterans and their caregivers to, are entitled to appeal to the board and the courts when the VA wrongfully denies them caregiver program benefits, said NVLSB Director of Litigation Renee Burbank. Back to you. Yeah, I, I read a statistic this past week that less than 10% of the veterans and their, and their caregivers that apply for this program were approved, less than 10%. So the VA can put on a good show saying, telling Congress they've got this great program, but when they're denying over 90%, what does that tell you? Uh, we're, about, we're about out of time, but one quick thing before we go to our co uh, reminder of the VA's coaching and care program. Um, the Military Veterans Advocacy Organization, which is a great organization, uh, they have a Bill of the Week program. If you go to their website, Military Veterans 
militaryveteransadvocacy.org. That's militaryveteransadvocacy.org. Top of their page, they have a tab called Bill of the Week. That's a project where they inform uh, people about pending legislation in Congress that affects veterans. For an example, uh, you go on that uh, tab, and every week they'll highlight one or two bills. One bill that they highlighted back in November, which is still important, is uh, proposed legislation called uh, SFC Heath Robinson. Burn Pit Transparency Act to direct the Department of Veteran Affairs to notify Congress regularly reported cases of burn pit exposure by veterans. It affects thousands of veterans. It also uh, requires uh, the VA to not only to report, but also to uh, to do more studies about the effects of burn pit uh, exposure so they can receive adequate compensation and other benefits. So go to the website, militaryveteransadvocacy.org, click on the Bill of the Week tab, you can find out that legislation. You can click on the links that are there to send messages in support of the legislation to your, your representative and the House of Representatives and your two U.S. Senators. Okay, over to you, Rick. Well, we can do the coaching and the care program. We always like to end our hour-long program with this wonderful coaching and the care program. Uh, it helps veterans helping difficulty transitioning to home life. Returning home can be a tough adjustment and loved ones can help. Coaching in the Care offers free coaching to help you help your veterans. Give the program a call, toll-free 1-888-823-7458. Its hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Again, the VA's Coaching in the Care number is 1-888-823-7458. In addition, I'd like to once again remind listeners that if you know a veteran who is suicidal or in a crisis of any kind, the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs also has the Veterans Crisis Line. That number is 1-800-273-8255 and press 1. Many veterans have committed suicide because they did not get the help they needed. Help them get the care they need to cope with their problems. Once again, the Veterans Crisis Line can help. Call that number at 1-800-273-8255 and press 1. Well, it's time Thank for us to go. I'd like to thank all of you for listening to the Veterans News Hour. We'd like to thank our producer at BBS Radio, Mr. Doug Newsom. Hope you'll tune in next week, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, 5 p.m. Mountain and 4 p.m. Pacific Time here on bbsradio.com Station 1. Till then, stay safe and stay healthy. Hope you have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Veterans News Hour with David Corey and Richard Hurley. We hope you found this week's program very informative. Be sure to invite your friends and all the veterans you know to tune in next week when we'll have another great show on veterans' issues. Meanwhile, you can listen to our other recorded episodes on the Veterans News Hour webpage on bbsradio.com. Thanks again for listening to the Veterans News Hour.